to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest one, the mole, our good pal BFD. What's up, man? How's it going? Woo! Been a while, bro. Yeah, it has been a while. I don't think we've talked uh, probably since Bill O'Brien was fired and you got to chime in and celebrate and dance around the floor naked for a little bit and then disappear back into your cave, you know? Yeah, and, and and I seriously hope that that Carlos and, and and you know Joe have been able to improve since that day, and I hope they're going to be better and be able to be human beings again after seeing me naked. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all done a, we've all done as good a job as we can to be Texans <laughs> fans, and not only that, like write and record stuff and put stuff out there so Texans fans can feel better at, about being a Texans fan. They're enjoying being uh, being a Texans fan at the same time too. And it's been difficult, but we've been battle fighting and doing the best job we can. Yeah, being the best teammates we can be. Uh, well, it's funny. It's like even since that Bill O'Brien firing, like as much fun as that was, it really kind of feels similar to the DeAndre Hopkins trade where we're like all kind of banned together. Like, this sucks. This is stupid. I hate this team. Or And then whenever O'Brien was you know, fired, uh, thank God, you know, the witch is dead sort of thing. And we've already disbanded into our own collective groups and uh, it have already become <laughs> like the the Anchorman fight in uh, in Anchorman with the with the four different five different news channels. You know, we've already gone back to that as well too. Good analogy. Uh, yeah, so I, I gotta know. I went back and I wasn't able to watch the game live. I was coming back from West Texas, and so the guy driving had red zone on his phone, and uh, and like it kind of cut to Houston versus Cleveland here and there, and I was like, it's three zero, and there's <laughs> ten minutes left in the third quarter. It's ten to zero right now. And I had no interest at all in, in watching this game, uh, unlike the Jacksonville game the week before. And, like, I am kind of sad I no longer live with that uh, that nice ignorance and the bliss and living the afterglow of this weekend where I haven't watched this game yet. Now that I've watched it and gone back and checked some things out, but those are some a beautiful 40 hours. But that being said, I read The Hair of the Dog this morning, and you got to tell me what's going on with this pigeon because I did not see the pigeon when I watched this game. And it definitely seemed like the most interesting thing that happened was there was some pigeon involved out there doing something. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly it was the most valuable, it was the MVP of the game, most valuable pigeon. And it sat out for part of the game around <laughs> the 20, 25 yard line uh, and was just eating food. And the game was just so bad with the game, with the ball sitting in the middle of the field so often. The pigeon was out there, I don't know, 20 minutes <laughs> because it just was unencumbered. I mean, just it had nobody running past it. And it was it was pretty hilarious to, it, you know, it's a it's a really p- bad game when the most exciting play of the entire game doesn't wind up for a touchdown. And the second most exciting thing about the game is the damn pigeon. Yeah, yeah, and that is true. Like the Nick Chubb run, actually, he did run out of bounds, and uh, like you mentioned, the hair of Doctor too. Like he didn't need to do that. You know, made a two score game, it didn't matter at all. But I think after Todd Gurley did that, everybody kind of learned their lesson. Like, look, if we have a chance to get out and kill it, we're going to do that. You know. I thought it was stupid. I mean, there was like <laughs> 20 seconds left. Score the touchdown. Enjoy yeah. yourself. Celebrate. Live life because you're counting on the Texans to first score within 20 seconds, and then. 
getting the onside kick. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, that's just absurd. Go score yeah. the damn touchdown. And they hurt the gamblers as well, too. Everybody who bet on Cleveland right. lost because he went out bounds to the one-yard line. Now, see, that's a good point of it. Yeah, and he should have, and he, it was done that he went out bounds, too. He should have kneeled it then. You know yeah, mean? right, right. And you that way, and the game ends right there. The other thing he yeah. could have done is just started running up the goal line to the other side of the uh, field. That'd been fun, too. He could have actually right, done donuts in the parking lot for the 30 <laughs> seconds. I mean, we could have a Bo Jackson Tecmo ball and just run everywhere. Because <laughs> a single Texan's going to get him. I mean, my God, watching Whitney Merciless trying to get him was just Ron used the, the gif of the guy with the with the walker chair with the tennis balls <laughs> on the bottom. And that was perfect. That was like Merciless. That was like, you know. If 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 Nick Chubb's gonna run by me, I'm gonna look exactly like Merciless did. Yeah, um, well, uh, and we'll talk about the defense in a second. I'm gonna talk about the offense first um, oh, because Houston, <laughs> like you know, by DVOA and DYAR, I kind of had this conversation last week and uh, had this conversation with Tim and Rivers before too. But, like Watson was, I believe, sixth in both metrics last week. I assume he'll probably drop off to like you know eight or whatever after this three point performance, but. You know, based off these numbers, he, you know, he's been a top five sort of quarterback this year. Um, and despite that, Houston only scored three points this game against a very, very, very average Cleveland defense. I know Houston failed on fourth and goal uh, because Tyus Howard failed to meet inside inside leverage against Miles Garrett in a draw play. Kaimi Fairbairn dropped, kicked a field goal and turned into a punt. And he also missed a field goal as well, too, into the win. And so how much of an impact did the weather have on Houston's game plan today? Do you think Houston just really struggled because they had to run the ball more often and they weren't able to kind of stretch Cleveland all downfield? Or was it just, you know, Tim Kelly being Tim Kelly and they go with more of a, a short, you know, kind of pick and pop passing attack instead? I don't know, because if I had to guess, I would say the latter. I have not had a chance to go back and rewatch the game. Um, so I'm kind of speaking just what I saw live as it was going. But it was we played scared. Uh, mm-hmm. offensively is what I felt like. And I think part of the reason why Larry McTunsell had a bad game, Titus Howard had a bad game. The interior of our offensive line sucks. So it, it was like, I, I think that the way that Cleveland was able to get pressure from four vectors from both ends and crushing the middle, I think it did a lot to really scare Tim Kelly, frankly, mm-hmm. and they got conservative with the ball. Uh, that's kind of what the conclusion I came to because they, there were, you know, once again, you can do things with Deshaun Watson. You can get him out and play action, and you can get him out and roll out. You can do all sorts of stuff with him. And it's once again, it's just stuff you don't see the Texans do with that weapon. And so I think it was Tim Kelly going, oh, my gosh. You know, even Larry Tunsil. Larry Tunsil had three false starts that game and only got called for one. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he did not have a good game. Uh, so that is my feeling. It was conserviac. Yeah, I, I completely agree, too, because it did seem like they tried to go more spread and empty in that first quarter and first half and try to push some stuff down the field. But uh, you mentioned Tunsil got beat by that inside-out move by Laramie Tunsil. Uh, Max Sharping got beat on a chop rip by Larry Ogunjobi. Nick Martin got really crushed in a – just like over and over again by Sheldon Richardson. Like, I mean, Richardson took him, moved the pocket backwards, you know, four yards every time, put him in Watson's lap. And then Olivia Vernon, Adrian Claiborne on the other side didn't do much against Tyus Howard. But, like, still, like, you know, there is a consistent amount of pressure – I think after that, with the combination between that and the win, Tim Keller was like, well, I guess we'll just like throw four-year passes to Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb, and, uh, and I don't know, pray something else happens. Because it did seem like when Watson actually threw the ball downfield, you know, he was one for three this game for 29 yards. It didn't seem like the win made that much of an impact on it, you know? 
Like, it still seemed like that one third had a fuller, that fuller dropped, uh, that weird kind of no call. That didn't seem like a call or whatever they're complaining about. The ball seemed like it moved well as well, too. And then Cleveland did play a lot of single high as well. So it did seem like, you know, Tim Kelly just kind of cowarded this game and went to more of a short, quick passing offense because Houston really struggled against uh, Cleveland's front four pass rush whenever they did go empty and spread like they did. Yeah, and uh, are, are you talking about the the pass that Fuller dropped when he was sliding that was a bit behind him? I'm talking about the corner route where the ball was kind of like lifted and it looked oh, like oh, it. reached up yeah. and, him, and him in the hands. And it seemed like it was a hard catch, but one that he should make, you know. Oh, that was Cobb. So Cobb dropped one. Oh, that was one. Cobb. Okay. Was like, yeah, right. Well, and Cobb, so, and I know Cobb dropped one, but I know Fuller caught one the first quarter, too. And then Cobb dropped that one that was like that crossing round third and four that was awful. Yeah, and yeah. even on that, even on the goal line, too, he, he ran that juke route and dropped one of the one-yard line also that he should have caught, too, and that should have been a touchdown. Yeah, so he had a especially bad game. That's what I got out of that, at least. Mm-hmm. And Cobb is... You know, we talked about we talked about it in the offseason after we we signed him is that, you know, he had a lot of a success with the with the Coke boys last year because they were able to scheme him very open often. And mm-hmm. it's like if he doesn't have that at this stage of his career, he struggles. Well, yeah. And, and they about the opportunity he had last year, too. He played a Cowboys team that was down a lot and had to throw the ball a lot. The Mark Cooper, Michael Gallup on the outside. And he had the entirety of the middle to work with. And that was kind of the idea this year in the season if you know you thought Houston's offense would be better you're like well they have Cooks and Fuller on the outside and they can run vertical routes you know the middle of the field for everybody else and get a lot of one versus one matchups and you know that never materialized at all due to their own you know scheming problems and also like Brand Cooks not being very good this year too yeah wow so uh so Houston's passing game this week Watson was one for three for 29 yards and throws over 20 yards to the air he's 10 for 20 two for or for uh, between 10 and 20 yards, he was two for three for 28 yards and one touchdown. But before that final touchdown drive, Watson was 14 22 for 88 yards. And then he had that one broken play where he made that kind of, oh my God, sort of like falling down while somebody's grabbing from behind, throw to Cobb. And that was his, his longest play of the game. And so like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I really feel like it was a combination of two reasons why that happened. But this was by far like Watson's worst game that he's had. I don't know, since against, you know, he played Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely like a, probably the worst game he's had this year, um, aside from like the first half against Kansas City in Week One. Yeah, at, and um, I, I really think I really think that that if you don't have Tim Kelly, I think if you've got just about any other offensive coordinator out there who wasn't a Bill O'Brien disciple, that you just do different things. You you create more opportunities for Deshaun Watson. And Cleveland understood that, I think, with their defensive game plan is that, look, they're going to stick them in the pocket. They're not going to do anything fun. They're going to do the occasional play action. Don't bite on it. Mm -hmm. And and we can bottle him up and we can just let a a not great secondary just do their jobs down the field and and limit the, you know, the Texans have a kind of limited skill set for their wide receivers at this point. They're fast, sure, but but not much more than fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, like Denzel Ward's incredible, but you know Kevin Johnson was playing slot corner today. Right. Terrence Mitchell's out there. Anderson Sandejo's terrible. Right. Uh, Ryan Harrison's gotten better the past few weeks. Now that he's played more often there. And Carl Joseph, Carl Joseph, like he still he hasn't really kind of found his footing in Cleveland at all yet. And so it's like a and then they're blind, they don't have any linebackers mm-hmm. either in Cleveland too. So it's like you're going to be, you're going up against the front four and then their front four beat them. And then Tim Kelly um, kind of cowered after that. And it did seem like their offense switched to that quick passing stuff. They ran those RPOs. They ran the zone read. 
Um, they try to get Watson outside the pocket, but they kind of kept the guy on the edge there. And I also think, you know, watching those RPOs they ran and the zone replays they ran, like they're those plays are kind of broken. And you see, I don't know if Watson's making the wrong reads or they have them designed really incorrectly. Like for example, they ran like an inside zone play that was an RPO where they're not blitzing, they're not blocking the linebacker on purpose. And he just runs up and tackles Duke Johnson. <laughs> and like Watson's holding the ball out like this. And I have no idea what the read is there at all. But it seemed like they they had a lot of miscommunication when they did try to get him outside the pocket and run the sort of zone read um, and RPO sort of plays. And I, I don't know if Watson's making the wrong reads there or they just kind of have some broken play designs on Houston's end. Yeah, and I think part of it too is 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 we've been running basically the same RPO plays since Kansas City in regular season last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically the same thing. Everybody keep to your assignment, and and you can blow this up. And then when your tight ends are guys like Favor Brown and Darren Fells, they're not going to make big plays. They're going to mm-hmm. make they're going to make seven yard plays. But it's not like these are the types of guys who are going to beat defenses with their speed and their size. Yeah, and I like how they expand on it this week with Randall Cobb. Uh, like running, you know, a drag route where he just sits and then wads him across the grain. And like they ran once with, with Will Fuller as well, too, where he ran the drag and then peeled up and they threw a touchdown off it also. But it's like those sorts of like um, adding, those like little pieces to add to it really hasn't been there all that well. And they haven't done it often enough to make that play actually work. And it really is unbelievable that with the times that you mentioned and the trade of De- DeAndre Hopkins they made, that was what they thought the staple of their offense was going to be entering this year. But that's what they ran a ton against, you know, both Pittsburgh and Kansas City and Baltimore and even Minnesota. And like that was what Houston was trying to base their offense around this year after trading Hopkins and you know, making the personal decisions they made this year, which is so unbelievably stupid among, you know, a thousand other things. Jesus. And then you uh, and then you watch Hopkins do what he did, you know, Sunday night. And oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, I still haven't watched that game yet. I really don't want to. One, because of that. And two, it's because he took down you know, my Josh Allen and, and my Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't worked up the courage yet to watch that one either. Again, like the, the bliss I was living with until, you know, about like five o'clock this afternoon, I uh, was very, very beautiful and very nice, you know? Yeah. That catch. I mean, you can see, I, I feel sorry for the children that were playing against him <laughs> on that play because the way that he goes up and just, you know, I called him hand clamp for years. I mean, he's like mm-hmm. some freaking robot. And he just went up there and said, "Now that's my ball. It's just amazing. Yeah, he's like Kawhi Leonard in that regard. Um, did he jump over Tredavious White? Was, was he one of the three defenders down there? Yep, yep. Good. I hope so. I just, <laughs> I love that. I love that performance he had last year against White in the well, car rally. That was like the only good thing about that game. Aside from like Watson's car crash, you know, he broke out of it. But the way Hopkins played against White that game was really fantastic. The guy he really beat was Jordan Poyer. I mean, that's oh, the guy really? he really went over the top of. Yep. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, you know, going back to these like DVOA and DYAR numbers, I've, I asked Tim and Rivers this. Again, argued my good friend Taylor about this last week, too. Like, I don't fully buy these numbers this year. We've got around Watson and Houston Texans. The fact they're kind of like 18th in DVOA as a team, and Watson's playing this like fringe top five level. And, uh, and like, I know the, the whole point of the numbers is they, they show you this thing, and then you take that, and you watch a lot of games, and then you come up with a conclusion from it. But I don't fully buy it. Like, I think Watson's been, you know, great. I think he's playing an offense that has severely limited him. But this idea that he's, like, you know, been a top five, like, MVP sort of caliber quarterback this year, I don't fully buy it at all. Uh, what about you? Do you think Watson's played as high as the level as the numbers say he has? I think that's it. it's a, and it's a very valid question because when I hear that, 
it does not sit right with me either that he's been at. So we'll just looking very, very quickly because I've been obsessing for like the past like hour over getting the latest um, football outsiders numbers and not posted yet for yesterday's mm-hmm. game. But if you look at the top, it's Mahomes, Rogers, Breeze, Tannehill, Watson, Allen. Then there's a pretty good gap. Well, there's a huge gap Mahomes to Rogers and there's a gap to Breeze, Tannehill, Watson, Allen. And there's a gap between Matt Ryan. And when I look at those quarterbacks and I see them, I'm like, okay, I guess I can kind of believe, you know, looking at the gaps and look at the way that he is a top five, top six kind of guy, but is he an MVP candidate? No, mm-hmm. no, I don't think he's close. And I, I appreciate the job he's doing this year. I appreciate that he's doing it all without a running game. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it, he still plays quarterback and he's got, still has like a catalytic converter attached to him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's still very limited in, in what he is being allowed to do on the field. And so I look at this and go, yeah, probably top five quarterback, not an MVP, but hey, what happens when Eric Bieniemy gets a hold of him? Yeah, exactly. And like I think from a talent level perspective, he is that. I just think his performance hasn't been like up to that uh, up to that level so far this year. I think a lot of that has to do with the offense. I do think he's had some problems, you know against the Blitz this year. He's had problems missing receivers behind on some of the short passing stuff. Um, I think uh, I think he's had you know some plays where he probably could have thrown the ball away instead of trying to make things happen downfield or whatever. But it's all really nitpicky with him this year. But I don't necessarily think like you know, he's in that he's in that elite category just yet, um, despite the numbers saved this year. And I do think, you know, the offense is, as a total has been you know very underwhelming and don't really even match like the DVOA numbers in that regard too for this season, but it's not really like Watson's fault. It's more about the offense he's playing, that sort of thing. Like you mentioned, like what it, what's going to happen whenever they get the enemy or even Brian Dable or Arthur Smith or whoever, and they're able to actually build an offense around him instead of like, I don't know, finding something that's easy. I, I really have no idea what they, I can't even come up with like a metaphor of what Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly were doing before then. And it does seem like when Tim Kelly spread things out and they went five wide receiver sets and hurry up, they've had a lot of success this year offensively, but other than that, it's just been a drag and, and a really you know, like an enormous bore, you know, even going back to last week in Jacksonville too, and they had the worst pass defense in football. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is and I keep making the joke that Texans still haven't beaten an NFL team this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, God, I had a great point I, I wanted to make. When, okay, so the whole kind of the whole goal of this offseason, you remember, and I'm going to keep pounding this, all, all the optimists kept saying that that this is we're going to have this vertical offense. We're going to be getting the ball down the field. We're going to be pushing it. That's not what we're doing where we've been successful is when we do that, but we don't do it consistently. And I don't think the play calling even jobs with that. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why I can understand the disconnect between the Houston offensive DVOA and Deshaun Watson's is because we have no run game. Our inside blocking is, is just horrid. Um, Titus has struggled at times. Uh, Howard, I'm sorry, use his last name like I should. Tunsil had a really bad game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he's had a couple of bad games this year. So the, the, the problem is, is we've invested all this capital into that offense for it to still be mediocre. And it's still a lot down you know, because of the play calling. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. That I'm kind of bringing this to the next thing I want to talk about was the offensive line. Because Max Sharping did come into the lineup to replace an active senior Calamente. Um, what did you see from Sharping this week? Were you glad to see him back out there? Did you like his cleats at least that were navy blue as you as you shake your head already? 
the, the thing that's going to stick out for me in that Max Sharping game, and, and he had a decent game, I thought, kind of all around, but man, he missed a couple of blitz pickups, like bad. Mm-hmm. One from a defensive back and one from a linebacker that he just absolutely just lost the plot on. The dude still struggles, and I think he's struggling with the mental part of the game. I, I think he's struggling with understand where his responsibilities are on the field, and he's definitely he's definitely not being able to handle the speed of the game right now. Um, uh, he's been incredibly disappointing. He was okay again, but you, it, it's it goes back to you know how is the play, Miss Lincoln, when you know you're giving up two you know major uh, blitz pickup misses, and that's what your job is. Your job yeah. is to block guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I kind of wrote down in my notes watching this game, like, you know, too often Max Sharping has no idea what the hell he's doing, you know, and you're talking about bliss pickup, and that's true. But even in the run game also, he doesn't know which linebacker climb up, climb up to. He misses, like, first-level blocks just because he takes the wrong step sometimes. Uh, there was, like, one time they ran, you know, guard tight encounter where he's the first puller. He's supposed to block the first guy, and he's supposed to kick out the defensive, and he just leaves them. And then Farrell yep. Brown leaves him too, and then Duke Johnson gets tackled for a three-yard loss. And it's just like, it's these things that are just so like unbelievable and excusable. Um, but as far as like his performance goes, I think it still goes back to last year where, you know, he was fine whenever he worked double teams with Tunsil because Tunsil's really strong. And I think Larry Tunsil and I could probably work a, a strong double team combo block together because <laughs> of how strong Tunsil is. And then, but in like pass protection, like his feet were good, his hands were pretty good. And he did well with that in the guard position, but he had to get stronger this year. And Max Sharping didn't get strong enough this offseason. I don't know what he was doing this offseason. I don't know if Houston was really pushing him to to get stronger this year. I really have no idea what happened with him in that regard, but he just isn't strong enough to play the play the guard position. And like in college in Miami, he didn't have the skill or technique to play tackle in the NFL. Like his pass set wouldn't have translated um, last year, and he would have have to like re, been reworked completely. And you kind of saw what happened with there with him going to guard. Howard going to right tackle because he can play left. Mac Leal not being able to play left in the Tunsil trade. And that was all kind of direct result of you know, Sharping's performance too. But yeah, I'm very, very disappointed in how Sharping has played this year compared to last year and how he's gotten you know, actively worse. Like This isn't like a stagnation thing. Like He's gotten worse um, completely in you know, the, the most important parts of the game this year with the mental and the body part of it um, this season. Yeah, if he doesn't turn this around, then he's just another blown pick. And, and you know, we're not there yet, but the dude is lost. He's mm-hmm. at sea. So... I, I I'm very concerned. I mean, if you're starting, if you're not starting him at this point of the season, or even you know going back to last week, if you're yeah. still not starting him when you're that far underwater, there are big problems going six on. Six and everything else, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, got to remember, dude's a second round pick. I mean, you got you literally invested a right tackle, made a right tackle investment on this dude, and he's already at left guard. There's nowhere else to slide down the diamond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, and. And they didn't even give him a chance at, like, right tackle at all either. Like, I know, like, Cody Ford was drafted by Buffalo, and they tried him at right tackle and moved him to guard. And he at least, like, has excelled as a run block. He his pass protections had problems. And you at least say, like, your Sharping was above average as a pass protecting guard last year. And this year you can't even say that. He's kind of full of heart um, in that aspect of it. So his, his 2019 draft class partner, Tyus Howard, um, he's continued to start right tackle. I know you kind of mentioned him earlier. What do you think not only of his game yesterday – but of his entire 2020 season, I, I think I had nothing's jumped out bad about him. In fact, I kind of, in some ways, I kind of think he's having a better season than Tunsil at this point. Um, I can't wait for you to completely disagree with me, so I'm going to throw it back to you so you can talk about it. 
I, I mean, I think he's been a, like if we're doing Madden ratings right now, I would give him like an 85, like pass protecting rating because like he's even if like his feet or his hands aren't there, sometimes he's just so wide. Like it's so yeah. hard to get around him. Like I wrote about him, I call him you know above ground swimming pool um, because you just can't. It's just he's like Dwayne Brown that facet where it's just hard to get all the way around him, even if you are able to kind of beat his outside shoulder. And uh, but just like in the run game though, I give him like a 52 Madden rating. Like he just his feet are awful. He's just really slow. He doesn't really get his head in the right spot. Um, he's really lumbering, you know. Like even whenever it comes to reaching ins on outside zone plays, he doesn't understand hand placement. Doesn't really guy, drive guys off the ball that well either. And so he's been very disappointing in the run game, despite his size and strength, that he does show up pretty well in the pass protection. Yeah, I think it goes back to you know the thing that I didn't like about him when he was drafted is his spark score is awful. I mean, he was like a 25th percentile left tackle in the spark score. He's he's not athletic. He's not fast. He's not quick. He's big. Mm-hmm. He's strong. Yeah, he's like a uh, he's like the planet Jupiter. You know, like it's he's just enormous and. <laughs> And like he's had to learn some things since then. Like, but he, unlike you know Sharping, he really has done a good job in the span of a year at like correcting his kick slide and how to use his hands and time his punch well. And he played really well against T.J. Watt. Um, you know, he's played really well against against Baltimore. He played well in pass protecting. And um, it feels so long ago some of these games. I even forgot who they played some of these times. But as a pass protector, he's done a very good job throughout the year. But you know, him and Zach Fulton, like they can't block the outside zone. Oh, no. And every time they run outside zone, you're just it's disgusting. You know. And they really do have a mishmash of styles where the right side should be, is better fit for like an inside zone power running scheme. And the left-hand side is better built for the outside zone. And Nick Martin can't block power run schemes or uh, get movement at all in double teams. So he can block inside outside zone somewhat. So you have five different guys who are – they can't find any sort of cohesiveness in their uh, in their run design. That's, you know, one. Again, I have a thousand different problems with this run game, this offense, and this team this year. It, it just reminds me – in a bad way or in a good way i don't even know how to put it when you had gary kubiak here is he knew exactly what he wanted he wanted his outside zone scheme and mm-hmm. he got guys who could block it now eric winston probably his choice at right tackle for several years that really wasn't his thing but he could do it and it the the difference between having a set of five guys having a plan first of all and then going and getting the guys who meet your plan chris myers mike Brazell. Eric Winston to some degree, Dwayne Brown to a huge degree, and having those guys and meshing them together worked out so well in the run game. And now, like you said, it's that's probably the most difficult part of watching the Texans right now. It's not the defense. We all expect the defense to be a trash heap on inside a dumpster fire crashing into a train. Mm-hmm. But the offensive line is just ugly. I like mm-hmm. like just you know me naked covered in corn oil ugly and we have invested <laughs> a lot of resources into that offensive line it's what is it? it's like you know three first round draft picks and and mm-hmm. two second round draft picks and a third round draft pick and a in a free agent and, and, and are you even including the tensil picks in that yeah too? i hope I, I was trying to because it's two with two with tensile one with, yeah one with howard and then the race and I guess he had two second, so three first round picks, two second round picks, and then like nine million dollars to Zach Fulton and, and Zach Martin, Zach, um, not Zach, um, uh, Nick Martin, Nick Martin a third yeah. round pick, and the yeah, big contract. That's a great point. And it's also like too with um, like even like Derek Newton, Dwayne Brown. I mean, Dwayne Brown, but Brand Brooks. Whenever they play in QBX scheme, like 
they were drafted and they were taught that this is the scheme that we run. And this is how you do it right when they were drafted. It's not like, oh, yeah, we'll run this, we'll run this, we'll run this, we'll run 17 different run plays, and you won't know exactly what to do, and we're not going to be very good at any of them. And uh, you will, And it's hard enough to go from college to NFL, but here's 15 different run schemes that you have to execute now, and, and you know, it's been a complete mess. And hopefully whoever comes in next year and becomes the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, and the head coach, they can come up with, like, a cohesive plan understanding on how to – develop this offensive line and like you look at Cleveland last week that's a good example of a team who got the players they needed to block the outside zone by drafting Eugenic Willis by saying by signing Jack Conklin who played outside zone you know forever in Tennessee and then already having the interior set up and you're training for Wyatt Teller and teaching him that scheme I think they trade from last year you know like that's a great example of architecting that scheme and getting a guy in, um, in Stefanoski who that's his scheme he learned from Kubiak you know yep. and having a complete cohesiveness and a plan and executing it and Houston hasn't done that, you know, once since Bill O'Brien has been the head coach, and now we're kind of living in, uh, you know, the 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 turd that he left on the couch, you know, after he spent the night for six years, you know. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of the line from uh, the Hunt for Red October, when, when he says, uh, uh, "The Russians don't take a dump without a plan," <laughs> and, and we don't even have a plan for the offensive line, much less taking a dump. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I need to watch that movie. I I, lo- I watched Das Boot this summer, and damn, that was good. And I was like, you know, I just want to drink 100 beers and watch, like, seven submarine movies. I haven't gotten around to the rest of them. The, the Hunt for Red October is, is seriously, I would say this about, I can't think of a single other movie. The movie is better than the book. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah, I'll have to watch that soon. I have, like, seven movies that Die Hard Crystal and Donnie watch as well that... I'm trying to get through, but it's hard, you know, watching football and and maybe whenever March rolls around, I'll be able to. Um, so the Texans in the pass game, you know, since we talk about the offensive line, they had eight players catch a pass. Ron Cobb led a team of 41 receiving yards. I think the offensive line and everything the the receiver position group, like I don't buy this idea that Texans have talented receivers or a really good skill position group at all either. Um, and I think they're gonna have to rework the entirety of it next year, especially when you look at the contracts and these guys got. So that being said, like which Texans wide receiver has been the most disappointing one to you this year? Kenny Stills. Like, I think the guy can ball. I think he can play. I think he's got speed. I think he could take over the Will Fuller role. I, I think you could sync him up with, with Fuller well, but he's just been a ghost. And I would rather have him out there than Cooks or Cobb. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And I mean, even like you mentioned that Pittsburgh game, like his inability to break back to the ball um, and that lets that interception mm-hmm. that game. And like, I think his effort's been kind of suspect this year too. And, uh, and like, even like as a fourth wide receiver, like they haven't really gotten going the offense. And you know, that being said, like he just hasn't been open. And, uh, and like, he, again, like he kind of doesn't really like finish out his routes a lot of times too. And you know, it really is, it really has been disappointing whenever you thought about like, yeah, you can get him against a fourth cornerback and that could be a matchup you'd be willing, you'd be able to exploit. What the worst part being is these are the kind of, the kind of, um, things he was able to do when he was with the Dolphins. He was able to get himself open. He was able to get himself open against number ones, quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing it at Houston. I don't, you know, he looks like a completely different guy. It's like Lamar Miller. I mean, Lamar Miller with the Dolphins was a baller. Lamar Miller with the Texans was nothing. Yeah. Makes me so sad, too. I think Lamar Miller. I watched, I pulled some clips of his last year. Last summer, I was thinking about Ryan something, but I didn't do it. But I just wanted to go back and double check Lamar Miller. And Jesus, he he really was unbelievable. Uh, but for me, it's Brandon Cooks. And it really just comes down to the fact that, like, he's a speed guy. 
he's short, so he has to really like create enormous cushions whenever he runs these downfield routes. And he has just been beat. Like going back to week one, whenever Kansas City's fifth round cornerback was able to lock him down the outside. And I don't know how much of it's just like a calf injury. I can't remember that guy's name at all, but he really locked him down that game. Um, and I don't know if it's a calf injury thing still with him, but you know, it's it's week ten now. And he still has had problems, you know, creating enough separation on downfield routes to be effective at all. And so like, this week against Cleveland, he caught routes, he caught like passes like four air yards, you know, three air yards, just like quick little drag routes where he sits for, you know, a three yard catch and he's tackled immediately. And he can't break tackles with his back turn. And he's not very strong. Uh, he can't win against the catch point. A really good example of that was against Jackson the last week where he, he ran that fade route and just like completely whiffs the ball in the air too. And so I do think like the one that, again, like we're kind of like at the point where this is one of 1,000 problems the Texans have this year. But I do think one of them, one of the big monumental problems has been Brand Cooks' inability to, you know, win routes downfield and win those vertical routes that you know, he was brought here to do. Yeah, he's got, and shock me, I just pulled up the wide receiver. Randall Cobb it's, has like 92. That's good for like 20 in DYAR. I had no idea. Like, where in the heck is that even coming from? Anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, well, he's been their most successful downfield receiver downfield, this year. I guess because so. he just runs those corner routes or like peel stuff off, and Watson's able to hit him downfield, but he can't do that with Fuller or anybody else. Yeah, and Fuller's third. Fuller's no, been having right. a great year. Yeah, yeah. I don't buy that Fuller's like a number one receiver who can carry entire offense. Like I think he's efficient, he's effective, but you know he's not a guy like you know Odell Beckham or DeAndre Hopkins or. Michael Thomas, who can carry entire passing offense on his own. Right, right. Uh, I agree. They call him Nightwing. Like he's an incredible number two. Yeah, you know, he's what you want for like a second wide receiver, which is what Houston had. And but that wasn't good enough. You know, nothing was good enough for Bill O'Brien. I mean, he would probably match up well with a DeAndre Hopkins type player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know who Will Fuller would be really good with DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> Could you imagine Will Fuller playing with DeAndre Hopkins in the same offense? I, I can't imagine that. I the, just. Boom, galaxy brain exploded. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because it's like, you know, he's actually healthy this year. He's been healthy this entire year except right. for when he left against Kansas City. And, like, I really do think the worst thing about the Bill O'Brien era was that, like, we knew that there was a better reality out there. You know, like, there was another universe out there where Houston had Deshaun Watson a rookie contract, and they were the Kansas City Chiefs, and they were the Super Bowl contenders, and they had this really great offense built around a guy who's making $4 million a year. And, like, in year four of Watson's rookie contract, like, this is what you designed a team for three straight years for. Like, this is the pinnacle. You know, this is what you spend all your time working towards. And Houston's won two games against Jacksonville, they're two and six, and they start off 0-4. And, And like, this should have been a Super Bowl-type team just because of the sole fact that you have Watson for $5 million, you know? And uh, and that's the worst thing about this year. It's not necessarily the fact that Houston's bad and boring and terrible. It's the fact that there's a different world, a different life out there. Well, yeah, they're they're six and two instead, and they beat Pittsburgh and they beat Baltimore, and, uh, and they're Super Bowl contenders. And they actually built a great team around Watson, unlike what we're currently living with right now. And then you you make those on the edge, you know, signings when we had cap room, when we didn't, you know, Justin exactly. Houston, Justin Houston type, you know, Sheldon signing. Richardson, Sheldon Richardson, uh, Commandant, I can't even pronounce his name ever, but Sue, yes. Lee Jackson, even though he got hurt last year, but he's been great this year, you know? Yeah, we've talked, we've, we talked endlessly about all these guys that were cheap and could have been signed, Muhammad Wilkerson, Mm -hmm. for for years. All these guys who could have done something in the middle to improve that interior pass rush, and we've passed on it. 
so we could re-sign guys like Whitney Merciless. Yeah. And even then, that was a year late, too. You know what I mean? Where it's right. like when they had the cap space. And, like, that Brian Gain offseason, I don't know what he worked out Bill O'Brien, if it was, like, if it was him making a mistake or if it was, like, they were like, yeah, we want to build this team for the future. We want to be careful in our cap space. And whatever the directive was. But that offseason with him, where they didn't invest at all, didn't spend any cap space, was so unbelievably stupid. I remember writing that article that was like, Bill, Brian Gain botched the offseason. was like, they're building for the future. He did a good job. And then he was fired five weeks later, you know, and uh, it did kind of seem like he was the fall guy that year because Houston would be worse than it was. And they start 0-3 and kind of pull it together. But uh, whatever, you know, uh, that it's another good example of just kind of how, how badly they kind of botched this thing. And, and again, like that for me, that's what hurts the most this year. It's not the fact the team's two and six and Bill Bryan got fired and everything failed and nothing works out. And Jackie's free still here and all of that sort of stuff surrounding it. It's just the sole fact that like, Again, this should have, like, I, I think you and I could have been general managers for a team with Deshaun Watson, built a playoff, like, caliber team, like a, a number three seed sort of team with Deshaun Watson, $5 million a year, you know? And instead, this is what we're operating, living through. Like, it's such a, an unbelievably insane, colossal failure. Yeah, I mean, I'm working 90-hour weeks. Could you imagine if I had 50 hours a week to just watch film and then just get guys that I want on my team. Or even 90 or hours. You. you can still work 90 hours too doing that. Screw that. I'm tired. <laughs> so I, just imagine that. Just imagine just anybody who didn't have their head so mm-hmm. completely up their kitten that they would have been able to figure out that you, you've got, this is who your quarterback is and it's not Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so the last offensive question I have for you is so Farrah Brown continues to receive snaps, even with Jordan Aikens back. He caught a touchdown pass this game when him and Wolf Fuller ran the same route. That was kind of cool. Uh, so <laughs> he, was brought in, he was brought in here to be like a, a blocking square tight end. And he's made probably like five good blocks this year, which is five more than Jordan Aikens or Darren Fells has made. Um, so who has been the best blocking tight end Houston has had since Bill O'Brien became the head coach in 2014? It's not even close. I mean, it's Pharaoh Brown, and that's just so depressing. I mean, you just yeah. go back. I mean, it's not going to be Ryan Griffin. It's not going to be Aikens. It's not going to be Fells. It's not going to be any of these dudes. Did you see Ryan Griffin on the field goal team, <laughs> York, and miss and miss the block on the field goal that lets the block the block kick? I think that was against Kansas City too. And uh, that was hilarious. Yeah. God, he's how Jesus. I, I he was a sixth round pick from Connecticut who got that many snaps with an NFL football team and then got signed by the Jets. And got re-signed by Houston. Not only that, they yeah, brought no, back. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, it's just pathetic. It hurts, <laughs> it hurts my brain. And I kind of think it's for, like, CJ Fedorowicz was never a good blocker. That's a, that's like a pad the stat sort of myth that he propagated that people believed. He wasn't a good blocker at all. You know, and Farrell Brown's not a good blocker. But again, like, he's made like five blocks. I'm like, that's an actual block. And uh, you don't see like Aikens or Fells do that. So. I don't know. I guess we'll give it to him, but hopefully we see some Collie Warring sometime soon because it's getting cold and you know my heart's getting a little a little cold as well too. And uh, I need Kahali to rise, raise my temperature up a little bit again. So is there oh. anything else in offense you want to talk about? No, we talked about it way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't, I, I think deserve, they don't deserve words. <laughs> even, even like whenever we start this podcast, we probably should just been like five minutes and talk about the pitch and be like, that's cool. Uh, you know, I kind of. I'm glad I didn't watch this game at all. We could end it there, and that would have been a, the type of podcast <laughs> this game and team deserved. Uh, but we'll keep we'll keep doing this. We got more things to say. So Cleveland's running backs and bond for 39 carries for 230 yards. 
Nick Chubb had 19 for 126. Kareem Hunt had 19 for 104. The Browns beat Houston with cutbacks on outside zone, power, counter, and trap. And both backs beat Houston's tackle attempts over and over again. Um, so in previous seasons with Houston, when they were bad, they at least like tried. They at least play hard, it felt like. Uh, what did you think about their effort this game? I had no problem with the effort. They just suck. I, I mean, I felt like, you know, at the end of the game that, that Tyrell Adams should have gone to uh, Nick Chubb and um, and Kareem Hunt and said, yeah, you guys carried me for, you know, 50 yards. <laughs> I'm going to have to charge you a fee for that. And, oh, my God, Tyrell Adams. He has Adams some gas money. He so has some gas bad. money. He yeah. does. Like, it was just so bad. I, I don't. I don't know what Tyrell Adams does on the football field, but it, it just seems to be his one goal is to be carried as far as possible by opposing running backs. Yeah, that's a great point. And he, I think my favorite Tyrell Adams play that was last week where he shows blitz and then he runs to drop into his zone, runs into Eric Murray, gets caught up. <laughs> yeah. They're like on like a drag route, which gives Jake Luton the free path around the edge where he's then able to spin out Jonathan or uh, stiff arm, Jonathan Greenard into the center of the earth and then uh, run through Vernon Hargraves to score. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I think Adams is really bad. And um, and I, I can't imagine a world where he's still playing here next year. And it, and it really, I think, kind of goes back to, like, with Zach Cunningham and Benarger McKinney, just how much how much Benarger McKinney helped Zach Cunningham all throughout the years to give him kill shots on the backside and just chase and tackle and chase and tackle. And without that, I think Cunningham, you know, really was really hurt this year. But I think Cunningham has been, you know, better the last two weeks. and. Uh, yeah. It hasn't been like you know completely atrocious, and has been you know good against Jacksonville with passable. I think this week as well too. Yeah, it's it's like he's gone back to his old self the past couple weeks because the first half of the season he was just awful. It was like watching him playing in college. Like his mm-hmm. angles were poor, he couldn't tackle, and then like he had a play that play he had on special teams. You don't see guys the size of Zach Cunningham hit people on special teams in the open field like Zach Cunningham hit uh people's ah, what's his name people's jones yes thank you <laughs> i he slammed him yeah yeah that's a great point i i don't know i kind of felt like the effort was kind of bad this game in the run game or it's like you'll see guys just standing there at the defensive line like turning and looking while nick chubb's dancing around through the second level and i just didn't see like i don't know i just really kind of feel like they didn't really play that hard um this week and uh, especially where like you knew cleveland was gonna run the ball 40 40 plus times and so, I don't know, I just in the defensive line especially, they would get cut, and they would kind of lay there, and they wouldn't get back up, and they wouldn't you know, work their pursuit angles at all. Um, that was you know, far from the problem for why their run defense was so bad, but it really did kind of feel like they didn't play the same effort. And also, like, just playing until the end of the whistle, too. Like you mentioned Kareem Hunt, Nick, Nick Chubb carrying them. Uh, they would wrap up and just hold on and not try to bring by down, and it really kind of seemed like they didn't, they didn't fully play to the whistle on those times, too. Yeah, but here's the other thing about it is I was fully expecting them to drop 350 yards on us mm-hmm. on the run game. And and until – so if you say 39 for – I can't remember what Chubb's run was for. I think it was like 80. 60. Was it 80? I think so, so. So let's say 70. Let's split it. So for the first 38, they had 160 yards. So – and up until that last run, they actually did a pretty decent job stopping the run. They did a heck of a lot better than I thought they ever would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did 59, and Chubb, Chubb had 59. I think with Chubb, they did a good job, like, stopping him, like, with the with the flow of the play. But it was all, like, cutbacks. So remember Chubb was out there. He was really able to cut back against them. Whereas I think Hunt was kind of, like, hit the hole and go against Houston yep. and carry him. Yep. And, uh, and Chubb kind of got him on the cutbacks. But so – and 
Cleveland's running game, this again includes Nick Chubb's, uh, you know, outside zone play where, you know, Justin Reed missed and Woody Merciless, like, jogged to the sideline. <laughs> like, I don't think, like, with his, with his ten- with tennis balls on the bottom of his feet, like, he was not, he was not giving his full effort on that run, especially there, too. Uh, but Cleveland had 185 yards on 29 carries outside the tackles. I think Watt had problems maintaining cutback lanes, and they blocked him one versus one against the tight end a lot. And, like, he didn't necessarily lose his block, but he didn't win his block over and over again. I think he was kind of sticky a lot of times there. Woody Merciless was beat one versus one over and over again. Uh, they had Eric Murray a lot playing the edge as the eighth defender, which they did last week, and they've done kind of a couple of times, too, and they try to go big box with, two, with like, you know, five defensive backs. They're like, yeah, Eric Murray, you can set the edge against the tight end, and that never works at all. And it's just, like, one of a thousand reasons why uh, Anthony Weaver's had done a bad job this year as well, too. Um, so it was just kind of a mess all the way around. Why do you think Cleveland had such a good run game outside the tackles this week? Was it, did you see any other reasons aside from that? Well, again, I'm just going to say that I was expecting the damage to be a lot worse. And I think it was because they kept dropping Eric Murray in to be that eighth guy down in the box. Or Justin Reed, but it was often it was Eric Murray on the edge. I think they did a pretty good job <laughs> because I really, I honestly, I expected Cleveland to average something like, well, I mean, they wound up at the end of the day almost six yards per carry, but I was expecting seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they shut down the run a lot better than I thought they would. But again, they had to devote every resource they possibly could in order to do that. And that team, that run defense is so bad that they were still allowing an extra two, three yards on some carries. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, I, I don't know if, I see, I'm going to go with, I don't think it was a lack of an effort. I think it goes with that this is a really terrible defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I see where you're coming from on that one. It, it, yeah, there's just like two runs that, I guess I'm just kind of so upset about that. You know, the, what Merciless's effort on that Chubb run it just, I mean, it was it was like whenever you found that screen grab of Brooks Reed just laying on the ground, right? <laughs> on that pass rush he had in like 2013 or 14 or whatever. It was like that level of effort um, for me. And then also that third and nine play where they ran counter out of the shotgun, or like no bot, everybody got blocked at the second level. Um, they also had, they also, I'm trying to think. They also had there was one other run that really kind of got me too, where I was just like, I, or it was the one where Cunningham missed his block against Hunt and then he kept running and then Tyrell Adams missed his block and he kept running and then he goes out bounds and gets seven more yards as well too and so it's just kind of like I, I, it's just those three runs really kind of stick out to me and you know, really kind of made me upset um go back and watch this game as well too but I see where you're coming from on that also so let's talk about Justin Reed because this is the second straight year Reed has had problems tackling last season you know I kind of I, I wrote about Justin Reed and his performance last year and like how he was really good as like a deep middle safety Really good against like trail techniques. I had some problems against man coverage against really good receivers, but you know covering Travis Kelsey is a hard thing to do. Um, I thought like in the box he had good instincts as a run defender, but he just missed too many tackles. And I kind of chalked that up to well he had this shoulder injury and it kind of nagged him the whole year and he missed time because of it. But this season the tackling problems has still persisted. He hasn't really made any impact plays at all this year either. So how worried are you that Reed is stagnant as a player and he's simply what he is now? I admit I'm terribly worried about it. I'm terribly worried that the dude is more upset that Rivers McCown is is saying the truth about him, and he's 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 pulling this like Tyron Matthew thing about uh uh-uh, I didn't blow that coverage, and he's more worried about that than he is improving as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? He's the dude is an above average 
center fielder. He's, he's, he's turning out he's not very good in the box, and we need to make these changes to adapt for that until he can prove otherwise. But the, the, especially the final play of the game, and we're just really picking on that one, Jeebus, did he blow that block? Or did mm-hmm. he, he blew that play? I mean, is he his angle was terrible? He got totally scorched. And where was the rest of the team to back him up? So, yeah. wow. And I think that was the worst part about that tackle too, because like everybody's flowing that direction, and not only does he miss them, but he doesn't force them back into the rest of the defense. You know, he allows him to cut wide out of him, and now he's wide. Now he's on the sideline, and when he merciless has again has his tennis ball small on his feet try and run over there and it's an easy run from Chubb after that point but yeah it's just like the fact that he didn't force everything wide and like how he slows up and then dives and misses and he has some problems tackling Derek Henry um two weeks ago too or I guess three or four weeks or whatever everybody has problems now. tackling Derek but Henry. I just mean I just mean like in the fact of like his angles being poor and yeah. like and and diving you know four yards away from him that sort of thing where it just doesn't seem like he feels comfortable as a tackler you know yeah no it's it's been disappointing because if there's one thing I was looking forward to on this defense, and I mean, I knew this defense was going to be trash mm-hmm. heading into the season, but if there was one thing that I was looking forward to is watching Justin Reed be a baller and he has not been good. Yeah. And I think it's been a hard thing for him too, with how they've used him, Lonnie Johnson, Eric Murray, you know, like we playing against Kansas city, Eric Murray was their deep middle defender instead of Justin Reed. And they kind of flipped that around and all of a sudden, and they put Eric Murray as a slot cornerback and that didn't work. And then they don't know what to do with Lonnie Johnson Jr. at all. So they put him at deep middle and they played 10 versus 11. And now you have Justin Reed playing a robber. And he's played like, I don't know, it seems like six different positions this year. And they haven't found like just putting his natural spots as far as just being a deep middle guy. Um, he can use trial techniques to help out Bradley Roby and that sort of thing. And I really think that's kind of been, I think it's been part of it too. But he has stagnated this year. I think he's worse than he was last year. And this is him being fully healthy with an entire offseason of health too. And so I think that's, you know, like you mentioned, one of the few bright spots in this defense this year was going to watch Justin Reed. He hasn't had much of an impact at all. Well, I think these are great points is because you had drafted a bunch of people who's supposed to be able to play their roles. I mean, Lonnie Johnson was supposed to be a cornerback. Eric Murray was supposed to be able to play football. And so these guys <laughs> have not been able to fulfill their roles. Yeah. You know? And so then you're asking the only guy who's competent in your back end, with the exception of Bradley Roby, to do things, to do everything. So they want him to well, we want you to be the slot corner guy. We want you to be the, the guy in the box. We want you to be this. Look, a lot of guys are adaptable like that. This is third year in the league. You don't want to ask them of that. Mm-hmm. And it's your fault because you drafted and signed people who shouldn't be on an NFL team or expect to start on an NFL team because you don't know how to evaluate talent. And that's what's happened to Justin Reed. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Like, I think also, too, is safety. Like, you can call plays for defensive players. Like, I don't think Anthony Weaver knows that. You know, like, just watch what Arizona does with Buda Baker. Like, right. they call run blitzes for him, designed to get him free rushes. They do things like that. And Houston hasn't really done that with Justin Reed at all, um, at all this year. He's just kind of, like, playing that robber position, you know, supposed to clean up the run game. And he just kind of hangs out there in the intermediate middle and doesn't really impact much at all from that spot. Yep. Um, so, pass rush. Charles Omnier, who didn't play this week, it doesn't really matter. He sent zero sacks and two quarterback hits, one of, one of which was when Whitney Merciless was on block. So they really have one sack, one quarterback hit this, this week. Uh, Corey Lugit had the one sack for Houston where he used a swim move over the right guard, which I guess is, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's Teller or if it's, it's Teller. Yeah. I think it's Teller. No, it's Teller. Guard. Teller's yeah. the right guard? It was Teller who blew it. 
Yeah, it was against the right guard, though, and Corey Luga had a swim move. Uh, so because of that, because Corey Luga had a sack with a swim move, he now has more sacks than Ross Blacklock and Jonathan Greenard this season. Is this the rock bomb of Houston's pass rush? No, I, I still don't think we've <laughs> seen that. <laughs> this is a really bad pass rush. You know, we're gonna, I, I guess maybe it might be because we should get uh, Jacob Martin back this week. So there's that. And he's the only other guy really on the roster can do anything. Greenard, you gotta give the you gotta give these young guys snaps. God, this is a stupid football team. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, and like Blacklock, like he has no like pass rush repertoire. Like if you go back and watch him, it's just like he tries to he just plays you know ham fight. You know he ham fights and he doesn't do anything at all. And like that was one of his problems at TCU is that you know he's got to learn an actual pass rush move in the NFL. The Texans didn't teach him that this off season at all. Um, and he's like good on stunts and good using long arms and. He's really good as like a loop for that sort of thing. They haven't used him like that at all this year, too. And that's been frustrating. Uh, and I know Jacob Martin's coming back next week. And like, yeah, I'm excited to watch Jacob Martin uh, rush against guards and not do anything at all. And <laughs> chase after guys and miss tackles. I can't wait. I can't wait for Jacob Martin to be here soon. And I know he treated like the eyeballs emoji. It's like, yeah, it's going to be really fun watching you against that. I'm Wenihu on O-W-E-N-W-U. Whatever that right guard's name is in New England, I can't wait to watch you against him uh, next week. It's gonna be a really great time. Yeah, we just so, don't know how to use our personnel in productive ways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, like get Jacob Martin outside and just allow him to be fast. And they haven't done that <laughs> all this year because they have to be multiple and exotic. And I think Anthony Weaver has Rex Ryan, you know, brain disease. So uh, Watts, Watts leading the team with four sacks. Cunningham second, and Merciless is second with three. Martin Omanehu are tied with at third with two sacks, and Tyrell Adams, P.J. Hall, Carlos Watkins, and Corey Lugan have one sack, and that's the Texans' pass rush this year. <laughs> I, who didn't see this happening except for all the Bill O'Brien stands? I mean, yeah. who else didn't, you know? Well, and, and also, too, it's a, it's a defense where what did they do this season? They drafted you know, two players in the NFL draft, you know, with Green Art and Blacklock. Didn't add anybody else their pass rush. They just assumed JJ White, age 31, would be able to carry them to an average pass rush this year. Average pass defense entirely. That didn't occur. And it's also a team that thought, despite being a bottom five pass defense last year, they're like, you know what the missing link is here? Eric Murray. That's what we're missing. That's the one thing holding us back is Eric Murray. And uh, they bet entirely on themselves their own development after being you're really bad developing players and, and scouting these last three seasons as well, too. So, um, again, one of a thousand problems that they've had this year, and it's kind of led to uh, the season that we've had this year, too, as well. And they re-signed Whitney Merciless to that massive contract. Uh-huh. Because yeah, you think he's – you've got what you got Watt, and you got Merciless, and you got Martin. And we're ready I, to go. I, it's like the uh, underpants gnomes. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Uh, what, 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 a, what a bunch of fun times. So our listener questions for tonight. The first one's from at Smooth Grandma. I hope you're doing well. He said, over under. You ready to play over under with Smooth Grandma? Uh, yeah, and dude, so so I, I want everybody to know that, that Smooth Grandma is like just a total, just, I normally don't cuss, but he's a total badass. I mean, the dude sat there in a hurricane on a boat. I mean, dude's a badass. He's just a killer. Yeah, I uh, hope if my life doesn't work out, I'm in uh, working on a barge with Smooth Grandma and spend my life doing that, you know, pushing 
pushing moats some of Mississippi. So over under, the first one is Texans defensive backs angry retweeting local sports writers next week. Last week we had two with Bradley Roby telling John McClain, this ain't it, John. And then with um, with Justin Reed calling Rivers McCown asinine punk. <laughs> I did not know about uh, uh, Bradley Roby. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if you're a, if you're a Houston Texan, especially if you're a defensive player, you're going to talk smack to who? I, I mean, seriously, who are you going to talk smack to? You suck. Um, that entire defensive unit sucks. You are a unit. You all suck. So that's it. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. So I maybe next week it needs to be me. So I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to say I'm going to take the over because I want that. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, you do that, and I'll pull up a bunch of Lion Johnson Jr. clips, <laughs> and uh, I'll post a ton of them. And I'm not going to at Lonnie, but somebody else will, and then Lonnie will eventually uh, get upset and then come back with it. Snitch tagging. Oh, yeah. And I love snitch tagging. Yeah, we need some of that. Uh, somebody did that to me whenever I posted about Lonnie Johnson. Like, Lonnie has a thousand better things to do. I really hope he doesn't see this at all, you know? I really hope Lonnie's out there having a better time than checking his Twitter and seeing what uh, what a fat, stupid idiot like me has to say. Seriously. Jesus. <laughs> so the next one here is Romeo talking about a specific player before... Uh, <laughs> Romeo talks about a specific player being used before he's cut the next day. The over-under is one. Oh, my God. I'm going to go the under because that's just so awesome. Because I assume we're talking about DeAndre Carter. Yeah. Die, Andre Carter. Oh, God. How that guy... Once again, you go back to player analysis and how that guy's still on the roster week one this year is just beyond me. Yeah, I don't know how he – and they re-signed him after that that field goal. I mean, after that kickoff return they fumbled last year at the Blair Witch camera angle. Like, after that, like, you can't play here at all anymore, you know? And, like, look at Tyler Irvin. He's been okay in Green Bay this year. Yeah. Another example of a bad aspect of Houston's development. And that's, that's one of the things Rivers talked about when he did that podcast with, with Tim where it's like, well – you know, I know everybody talks a lot about the drafting issues, but they do have a lot of young players. They just can't get anything out of them at all. And how much of it is scouting, how much of it is development, like I don't know. But I think it's a combination of both for you know, why they've had such a problem with, um, with their draft picks the last three seasons, you know. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Also, also, when you trade your, your best picks, you know, it makes it a little bit harder, too, as well. Yeah, and I'd also like to go back to and give a special shout-out to our Devlin. <clears throat> I mean – have you ever? I've never seen an offensive line be just unable to develop over such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's truly Art Devlin is truly an artist in that respect. Yeah, the ability for him to be able to hang on. He had that kind of that quip uh, last year or last summer when they asked about the offensive line's improvement. He's like, "Yeah, well, it makes it a lot easier if you have good players." And now he has his good players, I guess, and they're still awful. And you know, whether it's Martinez Rankin or Julian Davenport or Xavier Suafio. Or, I mean, I guess you can even include Ray Manx and even Nick Martin, because Nick Martin has not passed, you know, being slightly average, if you even want to call him that. Um, Houston's t- and then Max Sharping this year, and Ty Sauer in the run game, and Zach Bolton getting worse here, and Jeff Allen getting worse here. Jeff Allen, and, that's fine. Uh, and so many, and just so many players <clears throat> have those problems here. Uh, it really is unfathomable that he still has a job, but he does. And uh, hopefully he'll be the first one gone whenever the new head coaching staff comes in next year. It's embarrassing. It truly is. So uh, Max Sharping whiffs on an inside pass rush move this week, over under of two. Over. Yeah. Maybe. And, like, I'm Go trying ahead. to – well, so it's, La- so it's Lawrence Guy. It's Dietrich Weiss. 
it's uh, maybe they'll get maybe they'll get uh, Josh Yuki in there on the interior a little bit too against Houston this week. Maybe Landon well Landon Roberts plays in Miami. Uh, maybe Juwan Bentley does some inside blitzing. I'll I'll take I'll take the over on that one also because I or think that, New England can be able to get some inside moves on him. Sorry, or that Finn Clark dude, the, the yeah, blonde, yeah. blonde. Yeah, yeah, Winkovich, good old Winkovich. That's it. But, I mean, again, like they could use him like how you know, Tennessee never uses clowning by having rush on the interior and maybe get some reps against Max Sharping. Yep. Send so everybody at Sharping. <laughs> at your expressway him, right there. Him and Zach Fulton, there it is right there. Just like get uh, do that boss front where you overload one side, but then just put yes. the other guy as the three techniques so that way you can get one versus one rush. You right. know? So the next question is from Phil Johnson Y. He asks, besides Watson and the kids, what else are you watching over the rest of the season as it relates to next year slash the future? And he also said we're entering a zone of uh, a factory of sadness right now, and he already feels dead inside. So I'm sorry, Phil, but uh, BFD, what are some things that you're watching for this year as it relates to next year and the future, aside from Ross Blacklock and Greenard and John Reed, who doesn't play anymore, and everything else? I mean, there's nothing else to watch. I mean, we are a factory of sadness. This this. The Houston Texans are the laughing stock of the NFL right now. And it's even worse than the Jaguars, I would argue. Like, not even without hesitation. Mm-hmm. I mean, because at least the Jaguars have an owner who cares. Mm-hmm. And the Texans don't. The tech Cal McNair does not care. Cal McNair and his Cal McNair's president of operations, I guess uh, technically this yeah, the president, came out this week and said <clears throat> that I have been successful at decoupling success and income so basically what that even means at all so basically what that that, yeah so basically what it means is is the team can go 16 and 0 it can go on 0 and 16 i've still got a sold out stadium and it does not matter gotcha i see what you're saying so that's what jamie roots said this week look cal mcnair does not care jamie roots does not care uh con with the jaguars cares guy has at least some some level of pride so there is no there's nothing else to watch but the young ends to see who's going to develop over the next couple of years i mean i i already think blacklock and greenard they're not nfl guys i i I mean well they are nfl guys they're backups so we need to figure out who's going to add value to a team in the future and we need to give them the snaps in order to prove themselves but no there's there's almost nothing to look at i mean this is like I'm at the point that we're we're watching Texans football just to enjoy it, just because it, you know I was wrong that we actually had football this year, and I'm very impressed that the NFL has been able to pull off what they've been able to pull mm-hmm. off. But look, let's we're going to enjoy it while we can. But my goodness gracious, the Houston Texans are a trash franchise. We are the laughing stock of the NFL, and nothing's going to get better soon. Mm-hmm. As long as long as Kyle McNair is the owner of this team, it's a joke. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from on that. I'll uh, I'll be a little bit sweeter and kinder, I guess, for, for Phil. Uh, for me, it's it's Deshaun Watson operating in empty sense. In sense, you know, uh, out operating with five wide receivers, nobody back there in empty backfields. Operating you know, with one running back and four wide receivers, because that's the future of this team. You know, going next year and the year forward, it's giving Watson more of like a postmodern um, spread passing offense. And so, whenever we get those chances, every chance that he gets for there is a future is a rep for the future. And so that's the other thing, aside from the kids that I've been watching for uh, the last couple of weeks as well, too. So the next questions are from at found of Houston sports, and that's H-O-U sports. 
His first question, the FDE asks, is how is Watson doing against the Blitz compared to previous years? I think it's about the same. I don't think there's really been an uptick in his success rate, but I think a lot of that's due to the scheme is that we once again, we expect Deshaun Watson to play 11 dimensional chess while he's sitting in the pocket instead of rolling him out. So I think, I, I don't think it's better because I don't think anything's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell because the offensive line has been bad picking up the blitz all year. So it's hard to really tell like, yeah, Watson has shipped the protection this way. He knows he's a guy off the edge here. He checks with this to attack it. It's kind of like him like, oh, now there's seven guys around me and making plays happen. And the Jacksonville game was a really good example of his ability to win against the Blitz. Last week, Cleveland liked to blitz him a lot in the exterior. Watson was able to he makes him like really kind of like unfathomable plays. But again, it's, it's at the court of his own talent level. It's not because of, you know, he's not beating it with his brain. He's beating it with his body. And there's only so long he can do that too. Um, and his next question is, which free agent running backs would be good pickups in case DJ is out for longer than expected. And uh, like, and a Jordan Howard was cut this year. And like, it really, I don't, I like, I checked the practice squad stuff because Chris was talking about that a few weeks ago. And it's like, it does, I mean, like, any vibe is probably better than David Johnson, but it doesn't really matter. Just get Duke out there, try to give Sky Phillips a chance, give CJ Prosize a catch. It doesn't really matter. And then next year, you know, David Johnson's going to be released, and any running back that can pick up next year uh, for uh, $1 million will be better than whatever David Johnson was this year, too. Yeah, this goes back to one of my number one rules uh, about football is that running backs are fungible to a large degree. And I think mm-hmm. Dave Jones is proving that this year. You do have guys like Josh Jacobs, like he's not a replaceable kind of guy. Mm-hmm. There are some running backs that you just simply look, he, he's a true number one. I think Shaquan uh, Barkley's another one. The scheme sets the success, the offensive line sets set, set sets the success for a running back. And so, I mean, look, CJ Procise, great. Dante Foreman would be, oh, my bad. He got He's been better than David Johnson this year, he, too. He has. <laughs> He's been great, really, this yeah. year. Um, so, the dancing bear still lives. Yeah, and it's nice to see. But, yeah, it doesn't really matter. As long as the scheme is as sucky as it is, it doesn't. We could go get Walter Payton. We could go get Barry Sanders. It does not matter. We have guys who don't know how to block, and we have a an offensive coordinator that doesn't know how to play, you know, call good plays. So what does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of anybody. And, like, I know, like, Frank Gore is better than David Johnson this year. You know what I mean? So they can find they can find somebody or anybody. But I think it's just better off just keeping Duke Johnson's number one running back. And then I would try to bring Scotty Phillips up and see what he can do and – um, and I don't know. I mean, there really is anything else to do there at all. It's kind of a waste of time in that position. Every time they run the ball, it's a waste of time. Let Watson yeah. throw the ball 65 times a game. Just do that. He's the future. Give him as many reps as possible. Whatever else anybody else does, it doesn't matter at all this year. Yep. Um, so is Cal McNair a seafood guy? I don't know what this means. Maybe it's an inside joke that I missed, but he asked, is Cal McNair a seafood guy? I, I don't. No, <clears throat> just reminds me of my, my grandpa would always say, do you like seafood? And then he'd ask that to my sister and she, she'd go, uh, and then he'd be tight. He'd, you know, have a mouthful of food and then he'd open his mouth up. That's a good one. So it'd be seafood. That's a good yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, I may have to use that sometime. I have some little brothers so I can pull that on. During oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, I think with Calvin, I would say no, because he definitely has never ate a vegetable his entire life. And I think, like, you know, seafood kind of goes hand in hand with eating vegetables. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Fruit, like, fruit, he doesn't eat fruit because it's for, you know, children and women. And he does, has never had a vegetable. 
And uh, he only eats like, you know, red meat and potatoes. Not sweet potatoes, though, of course. No. Uh, never. Uh, his last question was, which one of your draft crushes for Houston working out elsewhere and which ones aren't? So do you have any draft crushes that are working out elsewhere um, in, that Houston did not select this year? Yeah, I, I think it's the one that we should have made that we didn't have the pick for, and that's Chase Claypool. Mm-hmm. Is that I think he was a guy that we could have had a chance for if we didn't just so botch. Cooks. Yeah. <clears throat> that. In like an all-time great wide receiver draft. Yeah. And, and, and then they, and, they took an anybody in the second round. It would have been better than Brandon Cooks this year. Yeah. So that's that's my take on it. Is is somebody said to me, and I'm I'm double checking because I just can't remember, but the dude has been a beast, an absolute beast. And uh, when was he when was he taken? I can't remember. Claypool. He was taken yeah. 49th. Yeah. Oh and my god. He used god. to take Blacklock at 40th. Oh my god. We are a stupid football team. You don't have Brandon Cooks on the roster. You don't have Randall Cobb on the roster. You go take Chase Claypool. You don't make stupid trades. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, Yeter Gross-Matos has been – he was good until he got hurt, but he's enormous. He's like Eric Armstead. I think he's going to be really good in the future. I know they couldn't take in Derek Brown, but he's been like an F350. And Fletcher Cox is an F450. He's going to have some guys they could take. Marlon Davidson got COVID, so he hasn't been able to really be out there at all, but he would have been a better pick than Ross Blacklock um, so far as well, too. And then I liked Antoine Winfield because I watched like seven Minnesota games going back and watching his defensive lineman. And he kept like flashing over and over again. And I had no idea who he was at all. And I was like, and I went back and watched him some more. And I really liked him. He's been you know, quite the killer there. The one guy I'm excited about was saying AJ Pineza would be an awful pick in yeah. Houston. He's been awful in Buffalo. So I am proud of myself for that. And, uh, and even like Jeremy Chin would have been a good pick for Houston. Christian Fulton would have been. I mean, they, it really is kind of like, it is crappy how little they've gotten out of your Ross Blacklock. And it's hard to know, like, how much of it's just their own issues with coaching development and how much is it with just, like, Blacklock just not being a guy. But I do think what he was good at in TCU, we just haven't seen that at the NFL level at all. And so I'm kind of talking it more of development. What I mean is, like, his pad level, his hands, his ability to be used on stunts. Like, Houston just hasn't used him um, in that regard very well at all this year. Yeah, let the dude one gap. That's what he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's you know, I don't know. He's just it just hasn't worked out well at all. And he just, I mean, he's been bad against the outside zone too. Like he had one block against I think Teller, where he reached him as like a two eye, and then he just falls and he just lays there. You know what I mean? He just hasn't. He needs at least another year. Uh, and it's been frustrating to watch him so far. Yeah, I don't know if, if because I spent you know I watched a couple of games of his like three or four, mm-hmm. and I've never seen a guy who just got washed out of so many plays so easily. Who's supposed yeah. to be that good? I, I mean, for me, it was just kind of the pad level. When he had the pad level, he was good. But then, uh, and like he had really great leverage whenever he was able to get those, whenever he was able to be used that way in TCU. And like that, this was him against the center, too. You know, he played a lot of one technique. He didn't right. play a lot of three, a lot of four eye. He's been playing defensive end in Houston, and it just hasn't worked out that well. So, Brand Dunn's, you know, enormous ass can get, you know, and knock six yards off the ball play after play. You see, they dropped him in coverage again last week. Yes. Oh my God. God, it pissed me off. Oh man. After he was the flat defender in that Derrick Henry 59 yard, you know, like drop off pass in overtime against Tennessee. I, I can't believe they tried that again. I really can't. 
there are just some things you don't do. You don't do that. <laughs> it's one of a thousand bad things um, of this year. Well, that's all I have for tonight. Do you have anything else at all? No, I'm done, man. We, yeah. we had a lot of words tonight. Way too many. I'm all mad. I'm all riled up. I'm, mad. <laughs> I know. I'm, about watch, I'm about to watch Josh Allen lose, too. It's going to be a <laughs> time. Kyler Murray, man. They, what they're doing in Arizona, Kyler Murray, I called it. Yeah. I knew they were going to make some magic there. Yeah, I'm excited just to watch it. I'm going to be a little sad, but I'm excited. But until the next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. Thank you, for, thank you for being on tonight, BFT. And we'll talk to you soon. We got the New England game next week. We got Houston against Detroit on Thursday. And uh, I may be drunk and really full. And I would like to try to record podcast Thursday night with somebody, but we'll figure it out. But it was great talking to you again. You too. Thanks for having me on. All right. Woo! With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.